Mark chapter number 9. And let's begin reading in verse number 14. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. I'm probably not going to tell you a thing you don't already know tonight. But if I can, I want to encourage you in the Word of God. Mark chapter number 9. Let's begin reading in verse number 14. The Word of God says, When He came to His disciples and saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them, straightway all the people, when they beheld Him, were greatly amazed and running to Him, saluted Him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth it, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answereth him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? He said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Straightway the father of the child cried out, said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? He said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. We'll stop our reading there and pray. Lord, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be in your house. Thank you for the men of God that have stood in this pulpit. Lord, I feel inadequate compared to the preachers we've had over the past week. And Lord, I am inadequate. I've always been inadequate. Any adequacy that is to be found in me uh, pours forth only from your sufficiency. And I pray tonight that the same Holy Ghost that's touched me and helped me time and again, Lord, would once again have His will and way that He would minister through the preached Word of God to us. May our hearts be encouraged tonight. May our faith be strengthened. May our, be, may our testimony be emboldened. And may our love for Christ grow as we focus our attention, train our hearts upon Thy Word. Lord, I pray that You do the work now and You'll receive the glory for sure. You're worthy of it. Lord, we love You and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want, if I can tonight, to take a few moments and preach on this thought. Hope in a hopeless situation. Now, I'll go ahead and just tell you, because I know you're wondering, I ain't preaching about the election tonight. Amen. I could, amen, but I'm not preaching about the election tonight. I don't know what we define as hopeless or whether it is or isn't. Really, a lot of that's above my pay grade. I'll go ahead and tell you tonight. Some of you say, all right, preacher, you're not preaching on the election. What are you preaching? I'll go ahead and tell you I ain't preaching on uh, the Tennessee football program, amen? Because there's sometimes you just got to abandon hope. Somebody say amen there. But i tell you what I am preaching tonight. I'm preaching about the heart's cry of a father as he brings his 
uh, son who is ensnared, who is imprisoned under the influence of a foul, evil, demonic spirit. And he brings this man to Jesus. We call him a young man, and certainly relative to his father, I'm sure that he was, but we have no reason to believe that this man was a child. In fact, I'd say the text of Scripture sort of implies to us that he's probably not a little child anymore. Uh, he is probably a grown adult at this point, but he is a ward and under the care of his father because he's not able to take care of himself. He is brought to the Lord Jesus. And I want you to hear the exchange that takes place between the Lord and him. The Bible says when he brought him to him in verse 20, that immediately the Spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. Jesus asked the Father, said, How long is it ago since this came unto Him? And He said, Of a child. Now let me say real quick, here we find another question of the Lord Jesus, don't we? Now how many of you know this to be true? If you've sat around here more than two minutes, you know it to be true. God only asks rhetorical questions. An omniscient being can only ask rhetorical questions. He don't ever ask because He needs to know. He asks because He wants you to know. He wants you to recognize and He is adjusting the mind frame of the Father. He is bringing back to the Father's mind the long record of this young man's infirmity. And the Father answers truthfully, He says, of a child, ever since he was little bitty, this would happen to him. And He said, for years now, oft times, it, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters. We're getting ready to have this bonfire up at Brother Carey's house at the end of this week. And I always, that's one of my favorite events that we do. I thought I should clarify the way that we made the announcement. Well, we were having a bonfire for the children. That means for their benefit, not for their burning. Someone say amen to that. We got wood to burn, amen. And mainly that's just because wood burns a lot better than kids do, amen. Uh, but if we thought we'd get a better burn off of, well, I'm not going to go there. But suffice it to say, you know, I love it, but I, I, I will tell you this, as a parent of young children, and one in particular that, that is not afraid of anything. He'd fight a buzzsaw if he had to. It makes you nervous when you sit there and, and you're right around that fire. And if you're a parent, you're just watching your child because it's one of your worst nightmares, the terror you'd feel if your child fell in that fire. Back a few years ago, me and my family went took a little trip out west and we went out to Yellowstone. And uh, as we were, you're walking through Yellowstone, it has the most uh, geological uh, you know, uh, locations like geothermal uh, pots and, and, and geysers, Ken, things like that, of any place in the world. And uh, we were walking uh, around that area. And at that time, uh, little Lawrence, he was three years old. And, and I was just on pins and needles. It's not unheard of at Yellowstone Park for people to fall in, for animals to fall in, for children to fall in to that 300 plus degree water and die in those thermal Pots and the whole time I'm just a I'm just a nervous wreck. I'm grabbing onto his hand and I'm clawing on him, and his mama's doing the same because we're terrified he might get out of our hand. And those of you that grow up around swimming pool or lakes, ponds, uh, most people that have uh, any kind of water on their property, they'll tell you their worst nightmare is their child or their grandchild or a neighbor child falling into that water. The terror that would grip your heart. This man had lived for we don't know how many years, but probably at least over a decade, day in and day out. That fear not just being present but being realized as this demon would take this child and cast him into the fire and cast him into the water. And the long years have ground on of this father dealing, living in this perpetual state of terror. He says the reason for this is the devil wants to destroy him. And then he says this. He's talking to the incarnate Son of God. He's talking to not just the Son of God, but God the Son, God in the flesh, who has healed thousands of people at this point but he looks at him and he says, 
if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus gives him a nail to hang his faith on. He said to him in verse 23, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Listen to this man's cry. Straightway, the father of the child, don't just say he said it. It doesn't say he whispered it. It doesn't say that he spoke it with authority. It says he, he cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I think in this passage what we have is the broken heart's cry of a father clinging to the last vestige, the last scrap, the last molecule of hope in a hopeless situation. He said, preacher, what are you wanting to preach on tonight? I'll tell you where my heart is and I'll just tell you and that way I can preach and then we can go eat something that ain't good for us. My heart is this. I don't know of hardly a family in this room that ain't praying for somebody. You've taken your children and your grandchildren, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your nieces, your nephews, and like this broken-hearted father, day after day after day, you have in the prayer closet brought your loved ones to the Lord Jesus and begged Him to work in their lives. If you're like me and some of them that I'm praying for day after day after day, we found no change. And in these circumstances, it's really easy to lose hope and give up. I'll tell you why I'm preaching tonight. Because I think there's reason to hope in the Lord. (laughs) Now, if the Holy Ghost talks to you about the election or Tennessee football or whatever, uh, you go ahead and climb on the altar and talk to God about it. But I'm talking about those of us whose hearts are breaking about our loved ones who are ensnared in the in the bondage of Satan, who are uh, enthralled with the allurements of the world. I'm talking about our loved ones whose lives are speeding towards wreckage and torment. And we can see it. We wish they could see it. We're crying out to God. We're begging God to do something. We're begging them to do something. We're begging something to change. And yet day after day, we find that things don't get better. In fact, sometimes it looks like they're getting worse. And if we're not real careful, we'll lose hope. I look at this passage and I just sort of see two different sections of things. I'll give them to you real quickly and we'll be done. The first thing I want to notice when I read this passage is the robbers of hope. This man, as we walk through this passage, it catalogs for us some of these things that can cause you to lose hope in a situation. For instance, the Bible says in verse 17, when the Lord Jesus walks into this situation, that one of the multitude, he sees the scribes questioning with his disciples, and he can tell there's a ruckus and there's a turmoil. He wants to see what's going on. And the Bible says that he walks up and says, why question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I've brought unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. Can I say this, number one tonight, this father, he held hope in the face of despair. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, this is his first introduction uh, with Jesus. This is his first description of his child's affliction. We would call it an affliction, but of course the Holy Ghost details it as possession and this young man is under the influence and, and snare of, of Satan and he begins to detail exactly what has happened. And it seems as though when you hear his voice, you can hear the years of long despair that have like a war of attrition, like water dripping upon a stone, have slowly ground and smoothed away his resolve and his determination. Can I tell you this? 
it's not easy to pray for your loved ones for a long time. I'll tell you how you and I wish things went. I know, because this is how I feel about it, and you ain't no more spiritual than I am. Somebody say amen to that. So, I know this is how you feel about it, because this is how I feel about it. By the way, that wasn't a, that wasn't a compliment to me, that was a criticism of the both of us. <laughs> but I know, I know how we wish it was. We wish we came up to this altar and begged God and wept, grabbed hold of the horns of the altar, asked God to intervene, got up, felt like a piano had been lifted off of our chest, walked out and got a phone call that our loved one got right with God. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm not saying God hadn't ever done that. But I am saying that more often than not, that will not be your experience. I've told you this story before, but I remember hearing a story that Brother Tony Hudson told one time. He was talking about having Dr. Lee Robertson preach for him. and They had had a revival meeting. And uh, whenever the invitation time came, uh, Dr. Robertson, he, he just sat down, let, uh, let Brother Tony do the, the, the invitation. And uh, whenever they were doing the, the invitation, uh, it was for praying for your loved ones. And uh, there was a man that came down to the altar and, and knelt for just a, a few moments, just maybe 20, 30 seconds. And then he, he got up and left and went back to his seat. Dr. Robertson jumped up out of his seat and he came up and he said, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. That man startled at that moment of uh, quiet and, 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 you know, contemplation of being interrupted. He turned, he looked at him and said, Yes, sir. Uh, Dr. Robertson said, uh, Who are you praying for? Don't tell me their name, but just tell me how you know them. He said, Well, I'm praying for you. It's a son or a daughter. And he asked this man, said, How old are they? You're praying for them to get saved. How old are they? And he told how old they were, 20 years, 30 years old. He looked at him and said, so you're telling me that the devil's had him for 25 years and you think 25 seconds at an altar is going to change things. He said, you need to get back down here and pray. Some of you men gather around and pray around. A few moments later, an elderly lady got up and began to go back to her seat. And Dr. Robertson came over and said, uh, ma'am, ma'am, who are you praying for? She looked at him and said, well, honey, I'm praying for our nephew. It was Mrs. Robertson praying. And he said, uh, now honey, how long has our nephew been walking this earth lost? And she said, however many years. He said, uh, he said, honey, it's going to take more than that. Get, get back down on this altar. Let's pray together. Here's what I'm saying. This man had no doubt sought quick fixes his whole life. No telling the numbers of healers and holy men that he had gone to seeking some kind of help for his son. And with every single disappointment, the despair would have dug in deep. He describes what he has seen his son go through. He says that he was, he is dominated. He says, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. In other words, it's like, it's almost like he's saying he's not even my son anymore. I don't know who this is. I don't know who this is controlling him. I don't know who this is running him. But it is not the son that I held in my bosom. It is not the child whose uh, rolling laughter I used to, uh, used to rejoice in. It's like somebody else is living in his body. You say, why is it? Because something else was living in his body. He was dominated. He says, wheresoever he taketh him against his will. He says he was demented. He said he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth. It's not that this young man enjoyed being ensnared by the devil. He was in torment being ensnared by the devil. Can I just tell you this? One of the hardest things when you see a loved one whose life is in the gall of iniquity is not only that your heart breaks for what they don't know, but your heart even breaks for what they are going through. Their life is torn to pieces. And then not only was he dominated, but he was devoured. He said he pineth away. What that means is waste away. Every passing day, there was less of that boy than there was the day before. That's enough to drive a man 
into the arms of hopelessness. And then number two, not only in the face of despair, but in the face of disappointment. Listen to what he says next. He says, I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And they could not. Jesus answereth him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. In other words, he he says, I, I came to you and I came to your disciples, but I got here and I couldn't find you. You weren't here. Now, can I just give you a little bit of sneak peek on the end of the message? Can I tell you where he was? He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, being transfigured in the glory of God and the voice of the Father speaking, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. You see, this man at the bottom of the hill didn't know that. All he knows is he came to Jesus and the out for lunch sign was hanging up. All he knows is he comes and needs to speak to Jesus and all he gets is an underling. That's it. A disciple comes out, maybe uh, maybe Andrew or maybe Nathaniel or uh, maybe one of the others and says, Yes, sir, what can we do for you? He says, I have, I have brought my son and he sees the pitiful state of the boy. And like it's been said to you, he said, uh, you're going to have to speak with the manager about that. I'm sorry. This is above my pay grade. The Bible says they tried to. And you can imagine with pregnant anticipation as one of the disciples walks up, tries to do as he's seen Jesus do. No doubt thousands of times when he walks up and he looks at this young man so broken, so battered, so bent. By this demonic spirit, and I don't know, I, I'm not, listen, I, I try not to use too much imagination, but the Bible says they could not, doesn't say they would not, says they could not. Later on, they look at Jesus and they say, why could we not? That implies that they tried. You can imagine as they all gather around, everything is, is about to happen and the Father is excited. One of the disciples uh, walks up and says, I adjure thee or I command thee. Nothing changes. The boy still convulses. He still twists, he still foams, he still gnashes. And all of a sudden that father's heart drops. He thinks I brought him to the wrong place again. There's no difference between this man Jesus and all these other charlatans that I took my boy to thinking they could change him. I'd say in the face of disappointments. I'd say this, I'd say he's probably disappointed with the failure of the disciples. I'm, listen, I'm trusting the Holy Ghost help me say everything just right. And if it gets said just right, it'll be Him that says it. That's sure enough true. But I know, listen, I know why. I know why I raise my boys in church. I know why you bring your kids and grandkids to church. We do it because we believe God's going to do something in their life. Can I tell you, I've been around here long enough to see that God has a desire to do something in the life of every single one of these children. Can I let you in on a little something? They also make their own choices in life. And sometimes in an attempt to try to soothe and salve our souls, sometimes in an attempt to compartmentalize and neatly organize and label all the matters of life, we can lash out and get frustrated with the spiritual leaders that we feel has failed us because our child or our grandchild is wayward or they don't get locked in, they don't get born again, they don't get on fire for God. We look at it and we wonder and we say, why is it? Why is their child on fire for God? Why is my child not on fire for God? Why is their grandchild living for the Lord and mine's out in the world? If you're not careful, that mentality can bury you. You know why? You know why? You know why they couldn't do nothing? Because it was never the disciples that did anything in the first place. Later on when they'd heal, they weren't healing under their own power. And here's what I'm saying. You listen, it never was the disciples. 
to to an outside observer, they'd think, well, Peter can heal him, or John can heal him, or James can heal him. But to know the truth of the matter, it never was Peter or James or John. It was always the God of glory that could make a difference in somebody's life. And that's true today. It ain't your favorite preacher. It ain't the preacher you hate the most. Sometimes it's the same fellow. Somebody say amen to that. That ain't who's going to make the difference in the life of your young person. That ain't who's going to make the life and the, uh, the difference in the life of your spouse, or your parent, or your neighbor, whoever it is in your life. If we're not careful, we'll get discouraged, not only with the failure of the disciples, but with the faithlessness of the doubters. Jesus whirls around and looks at that man. It says he answered him. But I don't really believe the Lord Jesus, I believe this man was included sort of in a tangential way, but I don't really believe this word is directing his fury. And he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Now, what was he fussing at him about? Here's what he's fussing at him about. Because uh, maybe they could have been excused while Jesus was up on the mountain. But now he's back down in the midst of the valley. And the scribes and disciples were arguing about what went wrong. Saying, well, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't say the right words. or You didn't hold your hand right. You didn't hold your mouth right. You didn't believe hard enough. You didn't this. You didn't that. And Jesus says, why are you doing that foolishness? When you saw me, why didn't you just bring him to me? I don't believe he's rebuking the Father in callousness or cold-heartedness. I think he's looking at the crowd and he's trying to get them. He says, how long shall I be with you? In other words, he's saying, ain't you seen that I can heal people? Ain't you seen I can change lives? Haven't you seen I can raise the dead? Why did you wait to bring him to me? Why didn't you go ahead and bring him to me first? You know, sometimes one of the hard things to deal with is is disappointment in, in the failure of the disciples, spiritual leaders we think should have done better in our life or our loved one's life. But you know, sometimes one of the great disappointments we have is when other people give up on our loved one. When other people give up on our loved one. These scribes are saying, I'll tell you why you couldn't heal him, because nobody can heal him. Jesus said, why don't you bring him to me? You know I can heal him. How long have I been with you? <laughs> How long have you watched me work and, and move? You know, sometimes it's not it, it's not what we say. Sometimes it's not what spiritual leadership says. Sometimes it's what the well-meaning people in our life around us trying to somehow shock us into reality say in trying to dash us our hopes. I think probably it was the disappointments were one of the things that, that risked losing his hope. But not only that, I'd say this, the discouragement that he faced. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Look at verse 20. And I want you to notice something you probably ain't considered. The Bible says in verse 20, they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the Spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foam. Don't you know that must have been discouraging to the Father? Can I just, we just had revival, right? Praise the Lord. Wasn't God good to us? And I trust and I believe that everybody in here used to working on somebody to get them to come to revival. I believe probably everybody in here, you had somebody you was praying for, you had them picked out, you'd called them, you'd, you'd texted them, you'd, you'd seen them uh, maybe at work or in some other social environment, you told hey, we're having a revival, I'm praying for you to come, I want you to be here. And probably every night when you came in, it hung in the back of your mind, well, I wonder if so-and-so is going to walk in. And you probably felt discouraged if night after night you watched the door, but they never came in. You had this anticipation of how it was going to play out. I would imagine this father had an anticipation of what was going to happen. 
I would say he had probably played it up in his mind a hundred times. If I can just get my son to Jesus, when I get him there, everything's going to be okay. My son is going to be like the maniac of Gadara. He's going to see Jesus and come and fall at his feet. He's going to be like so many that were broken and that were damaged and destroyed. When Jesus walks by, he's going to receive him readily and be thrilled and excited to see him. And there'll be an immediate change and everything's going to be better if I can just get him to Jesus. Notice the reaction of his son. There wasn't no come to Jesus moment here. When that devil sees Jesus, he cries and he tears the boy and the boy falls down, wallowing and foaming. That's a bad omen, isn't it? Wouldn't you think if something was going to change, Brother Larry, wouldn't you think if this man Jesus was the real deal, if he was the same Jesus that had healed the the, the, the maniac of Gadara, if he was that same man, wouldn't you think that this devil would have fell down in humility and submission at his feet? But he doesn't. He just fights. He just releases his fury upon that poor boy. You know, sometimes we're thinking to ourselves, if I can just get him to meet me, if I can just, if I can just, if I can just show him scripture, if I, if I can just, if I can just testify to him about what God has done in my life, if I, if I can just, if I can just make them see, if I can just make them see, if I can just make them see, everything will change. Then you get them to meeting, and instead of rejoicing and hallelujah, <laughs> they wallow in their phone. You show them the Word of God, and instead of looking at you with newborn eyes of illumination, they look at you with spite and vitriol and anger. I'd say it was discouraging for this man when he saw the reaction of his son. But you know, it shouldn't surprise him because there's something interesting here. Not only notice the, the reaction of his son, but notice the reversals of his son. The Bible says something interesting in verse 21. It says, he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. You know, isn't it interesting, Brother Kim, that it says into the fires and into the waters? Two polar opposite elements. We think of them as the very opposite things, don't we? One can't live and exist in the saturated presence of the other. The fire will either evaporate the water or the water will quench the fire, but we recognize that these are two polar opposite conditions. And the Bible says this devil, this demon would take this boy and he'd throw him from one to the other, trying to destroy him. I'd call that a reversal. You know, sometimes we get discouraged because we bring our love one to Jesus and we think they're just going to uh, get excited and receive the Lord immediately, repent immediately, get their life right immediately, and they don't. They lash out. Sometimes what can discourage us is when we see them go from the fire to the water. Fire. Listen to me to the water. Fire to the water. We see them come down and weep on an altar and get up. Praise God, I'm getting right. And then a week later, we see them in worse shape than they were before they came. We see two steps forward and three steps backwards. We see reason to hope and then those hopes are dashed. And it can wear on a person. It can make them cynical. It can make them bitter. It can get them to the place where they just don't believe anything's going to happen in that person's life. Don't you know that father, he probably thought to himself, when his son would be thrown into the fire, there were probably moments he thought, you know, it would be better if he'd just stay there. It would relieve his suffering. It would relieve my burden. That devil would bring him up out of the fire and cast him into the water. He'd think to himself, you know, maybe it'd be better if it just didn't come up. It'd be easier on him. It'd be easier on us. He'd finally be released. It's enough to wear a man thin. Seeing loved ones that you beg God for. 
seem to make strides, only to fall again. I think the face of discouragement he held hope. Not only that, I think in the in the face of doubts he held hope. Notice the infirmity of his faith. He says this at the end of verse 22. He says, but if thou canst do anything. Now a whole message, probably a whole series or a whole commentary could be dealt with about this exchange between this man and Jesus. But what I find interesting is the keenly schizophrenic nature of this man's faith. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he opens up by saying, if you can do anything. Later on, he says, Lord, I believe. But before he's drawn another breath, he says, help thou my unbelief. I'd say this is a man that has faith, but he's racked with doubts. I found this to be true, that faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive one of the other. You know why? Because faith is an operation of the new man and doubt is an operation of the old man. And the same way that you've got the new man and the old man living in you at the same time, the same way that you can have a desire and a heart to love God and serve Him, but also have the infirmity of the flesh that seeks to allure you away from Christ. Those two things can live at the same time, at the same address. Paul said it does for every believer. He said that in his flesh dwelleth no good thing. And he went on to say, the things I would do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. He said, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, this inner conflict that exists within the believer. The reason is because we've got two people living in us. We've got two people, hey, listen, like uh, like Rebecca of old, when the uh, twins strived within her, she said, if it be so, why am I thus? God answered, because you've got two manner of nations within you. That's how it is for every born-again believer. We've got two manner of people within us. The old man and the new man. And I believe this man, he had faith Christ didn't rebuke him. He did not illuminate him to an absence of faith. He didn't say, your problem is you don't have more faith. He never said that. He just simply said, if you can believe, all things are possible. The man said, Lord, I believe. Jesus didn't say, no, you don't. The man said, Lord, I believe. Jesus didn't say, not enough. We have every reason to believe this man had all the faith that he needed. Here's the problem. Belief and unbelief can live at the same address. I think sometimes in the face of doubts, I don't care how spiritual... You and I may think we are. We all have moments of doubt. When we're praying and asking God to intervene, and then all of a sudden the flesh crawls and creeps into our mind and reminds us, I see the infirmity of His flesh, but then I notice the inside of His flesh, or of His faith, excuse me. Notice what He says. I think it's easy to jump over this. He says, if thou canst do anything. He doesn't even finish it. He just he says, if, if you can, do it doesn't say, I believe you can or I don't believe you can. He just says, if you can, that doubt's living there. Then notice what he says afterwards. He doesn't say, if thou canst do anything, heal my boy. He doesn't say, if thou canst do anything, cast out this devil. He says two things. If thou canst do anything, number one, he says, have compassion on us. And number two, help us. He doesn't say, if you have the power, it's almost implied, I... I know you can do it. There's a part of me that knows you can do it. But he is not appealing to the power of the Lord. He's appealing to the pity of the Lord. He says, here's what I know, Jesus. I know you can't look at him suffer like this any better than I can look at him and see him suffer like this. I, I know that in your heart, of all the things I know about you, I know you're a compassionate man. And I know you're a man that desires to help. And if you'll just, you see, we think it's all about getting them to him. But maybe it's more about getting him to them. You hearing me? I don't think you are. 
We think it's all about getting them to Jesus. But maybe our prayer life is more about getting Jesus to them. What I mean to say by that is this. We think it's all conditional upon them, but it ain't never been about them. It's always been about what He can do. Does He love them? I'd say He loves them. Is He compassionate? Oh, yes, He's compassionate. Does He want to help? Oh, yes, He wants to help. This man, however feeble his faith was, at least it was focused. He understood exactly what it is we're trusting in. Uh, Listen, most of us, uh, our doubt is not centered on whether God can. Our doubt is centered on whether God will. I ain't a person in this room that say God can't. We all know He can. We're wondering if He will. This man understood where his faith needed to reside because he said, have compassion. I know you're compassionate. Help us. I know you've helped others. In other words, he was saying, whether you can or can't, I'll let you reveal that. But I'm going to believe that you desire to heal my boy. I would say we see the inside of his faith and then notice the increase of it. I ain't going to spend a lot of time on this. The Bible says straightway, the father of the child, he cried out. He said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Why would we think that prayer is the answer to every problem except the problem of us? Why would we think that? Why would we think that the right answer for every problem, can't make a bill, pray about it. Right? Right? Can't make a bill, you pray about it. Got something wrong with you, and the doctor's scratching their head, and it's apparent God's not going to use medicine to, to touch your body. What do you do? You pray about it. God, heal me. God, Help me. Anything that it is. Got, got conflict in your marriage. Tried to resolve it. You can't. Pray and you say, Lord, give peace. I mean, the answer is always to pray. So why when we have doubts would the answer not be to pray? Why would the answer not? Oh, it's because you think because you have doubts you can't have faith. That's the wrong-headedness of your perspective. It's not that you got doubts so you don't have faith. It's that you got faith and you've got doubts. So utilize your faith. Put it in the Lord. Trust Him. Ask God to increase your faith so that your faith is so big that your doubt ain't got room to live there anymore. I, I, I see the increase of His of His faith. And then, you know, I, there, there's one other thing I notice here, and then I'm going to preach. He maintained hope in the face of doubts, and He maintained uh, hope in the face of discouragement and disappointments and despair. And then I want you to notice, he, he, he maintained hope in the face of deterioration. And I'll go ahead and tell you, this is really where this heart, this message was born in my heart. You know, sometimes we think we pray and get them to God, it's going to get better. But a lot of times it gets worse before it gets better. Look what happens here. The Bible says in verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. We see the removal of this demonic spirit. Now, I'd say this, this father got everything he could have hoped for and more, didn't he? He prayed, God, get the devil out of it. Jesus said, I will. And he commanded that devil. He said everything how it ought to be said. So how do you know that? Because he's the son of God. He always did everything right. He said what he needed to say. He had the power. Everything that this father prayed for was answered. I'd say this, God was working here once. I believe God was working here. I know He was. God in the flesh, healing, touching, changing, adjuring foul spirits to exit this young man's body. 
I mean, everything the Father had prayed for. He said, God, work! And God worked. What did it look like? The Bible says in verse 26, the Spirit cried and rent him sore. Came out of him. The Bible says he was as one dead. Insomuch that many said, he is dead. Sometimes what we think it's going to look like when God works in somebody's life is life. Sometimes to the untrained and hopeless eye, it looks like death. Everybody stood around and said, He brought His Son to Jesus and all Jesus did was kill Him. He's worse than He was. At least if this man had brought or had kept His Son at home, He may have been a demoniac, He may have been a tormented soul, but at least He would have still been alive. Oh, but Jesus isn't done yet. He ain't done yet. Can I tell you something? Very often it gets worse before it gets better. Very often you get them to God. You think this is going to be glorious. And God has to about half kill them to get their attention. Has to about half destroy them to get a hold of them. I'd say it was hard to maintain hope. I, that If I hadn't broke, I would have broke before I ever got there. I ain't as spiritual as this man. But if I had managed to hold up hope, well, Ken, I believe that's the point I would have given up. I would have looked at him and I would have said what everybody else said. Well, he's dead. Maybe I would have consoled myself and said at least he's released from his sufferings. At least he's tormented no more. But that would have been it. I would have said I brought him to Jesus. I would have even been real spiritual. I would have probably said something like this. Well, it must have been the will of God. And I just trust the will of God. But Jesus wasn't done yet. I would have given up hope right at the most pivotal, crucial moment in the face of deterioration. Things getting worse, not getting better. Things getting worse, and they often get worse. But look what the Bible goes on to tell us. The Bible says in verse 27 that Jesus, He took Him by the hand, and He lifted Him up, and He arose. At the moment when it looked most hopeless was the very moment that Jesus was closest and God was working. See, when I read this passage, I see the robbers of hope. I I see the reasons that any reasonable person would give up. I see the reasons that your flesh is telling you to give up about that child or that grandchild or that niece or nephew or loved one, whoever it might be. And it may not even be a person in their spiritual condition. It may be a situation in your life where you feel hopeless and you feel like there's no answer and you feel like things can't get better and you brought it to God. You prayed about it. You've, you've laid on this altar and wept and begged God and it's not gotten better. It's only got worse. And you're at that point right now where you're ready to give up. Can I give you, I don't just see the robbers of hope. Can I give you three reasons to hope in this passage? Three reasons this father needed to not give up hope. You know why? Number one, I see there was a power on the mountain, Brother Ken. You know what the backdrop is of this passage? I already told you, but I wouldn't tell you again. And we won't read it. Time won't permit us. But if you were to go back to the beginning of this passage, you'd find that it tells us about six days after Jesus uh, taking His disciples, Peter and James and John, He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And there He was transfigured before them. And His raiment was changed as white as snow, so as no fuller of earth can white it. The Bible says that Moses and Elijah, they they showed up and were revealed in glory and, and, and in majesty. And they spake there of His death. And Peter, when he finally wakes up, he's good back 
Baptist man right in the middle of the glory. He was falling dead asleep. When he finally wakes up, he looks and he sees what's happened. He don't know what to do, so he just sticks his foot in his mouth because Peter always did that. And he said, he said, we need to build us three tabernacles here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. And the Bible says that a cloud overshadowed them and a voice spake one of only three times in Scripture that the voice of God spake audibly in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. He spoke and he said, this is my beloved Son. Hear him. I'd say this, they're sitting at the bottom of the hill arguing and fussing and trying to figure out why the disciples couldn't do it. There was a lot going on up on that mountain. But you see, they weren't privy to it. They're in the valley, in the pit of despair, in the low point of hopelessness. They could have never imagined the glory and power that was taking place up on the mountain. Can I tell you a reason that y'all not give up hope? Because where you sit at, it may look like God can't. Where you're sitting at, it may look like there's no way. Where you're sitting at, it may look like time has run out and hope has run short. Nothing's ever going to change. Oh, but listen, if you could just pull back the windows of heaven, if you could look into the mountain of the presence of the throne room of God, you'd find a thrice holy, omniscient, omnipotent God whom the cherubims fly around and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You'd find His power is not diminished. You'd find that His pity has not been swayed. You'd find that His heart still beats and throbs for your loved one. You'd find that the same God that created the universe, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that held back the sun, the same God that slew armies, and set up kingdom, that same God is as powerful as He has ever been. Where you're sitting, you can't see that. But if you could look up on the mountain, you'd find that God hadn't diminished one iota. I'd say you ought not give up hope because there's a power on the mountain. You don't know, hey, you know what's going on down here and we don't even really know that anymore. How many of y'all have resigned yourself to realizing you don't know anything? I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed it took me 33 years to learn that. And you think you know what's going on down here, but can I tell you something? There's things going on outside of your line of sight. God is powerful. God is mighty. God is working. And you may look at it and say God can't, but I promise you if you step one foot inside of heaven, the only thing you'd ever be able to say is sure enough, God can. You look at it and say there's no way, but if you were to walk into the presence of God, you'd say this is a God that makes a way where there is no way. I'm saying there's a power on the mountain. Number two, you know a reason not to give up hope because there's a presence in the valley. I like what the Bible says. It's easy to miss it. But the Bible says when they came down from the mountain. I'm glad to say and report to you tonight that the same God that has eternally sat enthroned in the glories of heaven one day got up robed Himself in flesh, stepped into the womb of a virgin, and came down from the mountain to dwell amongst men. I'm telling you, listen, it's all good for all that good glorious stuff to be going up on up in the mountain. But here's the only problem. This sick boy wasn't up in the mountain. He was down at the bottom of the hill. If it had been me, and you know, Peter said this. We're real hard on Peter. I am anyways. He's going to punch me in the mouth when I get to heaven. All the things I've said about him. Me and every other preacher too. Amen. The first 10,000 years of glory is just going to be Peter whooping the fire out of every preacher that's ever lived. But uh, <laughs> Peter said what I would have said. Lord, let's just build three tabernacles up here. Let's just never go down. Why would we ever go back down? I mean, we got everything we need up here. Why don't we just stay up here? That's how I feel about it. That's where I'd love to live. But Jesus said, oh no. You know why? Because there were some things going on on the top of the mountain that the people at the bottom of the hill didn't know about. 
Can I tell you something? There's also some things going down at the bottom of the hill that nobody except Jesus on the top of the mountain knew about. The people at the bottom of the hill were saying, it's hopeless, it's hopeless, it's hopeless. They couldn't see what was happening on the mountain. But the people on the mountain, Peter, were saying, let's just stay here. He couldn't see what Jesus could see. Jesus looked down, not just uh, through the valley, but He looked through the very halls of eternity. He looked into the very soul and, and pity of this young man. And He saw Him and He loved Him and He looked upon Him. He was up on the mountain, but thank God He didn't stay on the mountain. He came down to where a broken and tortured young man was so that He could touch him and change his life. And can I just tell you, you ought not give up hope, not only because there's a power on the mountain, but there's a presence in your valley. He's with us. He's nigh unto us. He's not far off from us. Help is close. Help is... He's a very present help. I, man, I'm so glad the psalmist said that. I, I, I wonder sometimes if maybe he's sitting there, Holy Ghost pen in hand, and he thought, I don't know if I want to write that. And God thought about Toby Weber and just poked him in the shoulder and said, if nobody else needs that, Toby Weber's going to need that. You better write it down anyway. Because I can't tell you the numbers of times I've had to be reminded that He's a present help. He's not an absent help. That father showed up and said, He's absent! He wasn't absent for long. Pretty soon He was present. Can I tell you something? He's as present with us tonight as He was with them at that valley. There's a presence in the valley. And then number three, and I'm done tonight. Here's why you shouldn't give up hope. It looks hopeless. You're praying for your loved ones. I'm praying for them. I pray for them. Our church prayer list goes around. I'm begging God for your children and your grandchildren. People, we may not spoke about them in, in, in a year or two, but I'm praying for them. And you may not say anything about them in a year or two, but you're still praying for them. You're praying. You're begging God. Don't give up hope. You know why, number one? Because there's a, there's a power on the mountain. God's power is not diminished. He's still able. There's a presence in the valley. Can I tell you number three and I'm done? There's a process in the Scripture. We're not left without clear instructions to how to deal with these things. Whenever the disciples get back alone with Jesus, they ask Him what anyone would ask Him. What went wrong out there? What went wrong out there? Uh, it's always funny to me, watching football, you'll get to halftime, we'll be down by like 65 points. And they'll come up to the coach and they'll say, now coach, how do you feel about that? They'll say, well, I, I saw a lot of things I liked out there. I'm thinking, what you did? Was you watching a different game? They'll say, but there's a few corrections that we need. A few, like a new starting line maybe. We can at least start with a new quarterback. Some Tennessee ball ought to say amen to that. Don't you know they got back halftime? They get back to the house and look at Jesus and say, what went wrong? We did everything that you told us to do. Are you listening tonight? We did everything. We did all, we crossed every T, we dotted every I, everything we've seen you do, everything we knew to do, we did everything exactly the way that we were supposed to. Jesus said, yeah, you did. You did in that moment. But what you don't understand is the reason I was able to cast out that devil had nothing to do with what happened in that moment. It had to do with the night of prayer and fasting I'd spent the night before up on the mountain when I was in communion with my Heavenly Father. And he says, what you need to understand is, yes, faith is a powerful thing. You, you know, the verse we quote it all the time, right? If you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, be plucked up and be removed. You'll cast it in the ocean. You can do whatsoever you want. Boy, isn't that a good verse? We love that, don't we? Charismatics love that, don't they? Amen. Every time they preach on that, uh, it's amazing. that God gives you just enough faith to write another check to them. We love that. But can I remind you the context of that verse? You know how that passage ends? 
That passage ends with this very same, it's part of the same conversation. Jesus then looks at him, Brother Charlie, and he says, But this kind goeth not forth, but by prayer and fasting. You know what the real tenor is of that passage about faith as a mustard seed? He's saying the problem, boys, is not that you're missing faith. It's that you're missing prayer and fasting. He says the problem is not that you don't have enough faith, because if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, because faith, listen, it's not about the quantity of it, and it's not even really about the quality of it. It's about the object of it. That's what faith is about. It's about who you're putting your faith in. What was missing in their equation was not faith. They had faith. The Father had faith. What was missing was the prayer and the fasting. And he's saying, you can believe all you want, but if you ain't praying, if you ain't talking to God, if you're not denying the flesh, if you're not prioritizing the need of your loved one in your life, then ain't none of that going to mean anything. And it's not because you can't believe God. It's not because you're not naming it. It's not because you're not claiming it. It's because you're not, you're not seeking it. You're not begging for it. You're not digging for it. In other words, let me say this, there's a process. Preacher, what can I do? Pray and fast. Preacher, I've been doing it. Good, i got good news for you. Then you ain't got to change anything about what you're doing. Just keep doing it. I'll tell you why not to lose hope. Because this kind, some kind will go out with a little less. But this kind, what he was saying is there's, there's some I can just show up, I can cast. But this kind, certain kinds, it takes more effort. It takes more effort. I don't know why that is in every detail, in every way. I'm just saying this. You say, Preacher... I'm giving up hope because uh, evidently nothing's going to change because it hadn't changed. But could it be that you've just got one of these kinds? Could it be that it's just one of these kinds? Preacher, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You just wish it was over sooner than it was. It's not that you don't know what to do. It's a very simple formulation. Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Don't give up hope because if that's what you're doing, you're doing the right thing. Don't give up doing the right thing. You know, I think it needs to be said in these days we live in. Don't give up doing the right thing. Don't lose hope. It looks hopeless, right? But boy, didn't it sure look good down in verse 27 when Jesus reached down and lifted that man up whole. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my sanctified or not so sanctified imagination. But I, I would imagine one of the first things that boy said was, Father, my daddy. I would imagine, I don't know, but probably one of the first things he did was hug his father. Probably one of the first things after he praised God, recognized what God had done, is there was a reunion between them. What a beautiful scene that is. But you know, if you just backed up one verse earlier, it didn't look like it. Ain't no telling how things might change one verse from now in your life. Don't give up hope because there's reason to hope. Let's bow together. The altar is open. And I wonder maybe tonight if we don't need to gather on this altar and say, Lord, I believe. I do. I know what You've told me. I know what You've promised me. I know the things that You've said. And Lord, I do believe. I, I believe. But that doubt's creeping in. Lord, help my unbelief. Maybe we need to pile up on this altar and say, Lord, I, I've been ready to give up hope because I thought it'd get better, but it didn't get better. It got worse. Yeah, a lot of times it does for it gets better. Don't give up hope because of that. Preacher, I did everything I thought I was supposed to do. I brought them to church. I brought them to camp. I brought them to vacation Bible school. I begged God to work. I begged God to move. 
here they are out in the world. Don't give up hope. Hey, listen, it never was about the preacher. It never was about the disciple. It was always about the Lord Jesus. But can I tell you something? Though men may have failed you, He'll never fail you. And we can still petition Him. He's still present in the valley. However, the Holy Ghost has spoke to you. Would you find a place? Would you speak to Him? Father, bless this invitation. Hope it glorifies Your Son. In Jesus' name.